Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's Electric Liberty Land. I am Brian McWilliams. Uh, I apologize. I am very, very under the weather today. My uh, colleague came into town from the East Coast to help out at work with a big uh, charity gala event that we help coordinate and do PR for and brought with him some sort of plague which has settled itself into my brain and my body. So I am uh, struggling this way. I did a podcast with Remzo of the Remzo Republic. Remzo Martinez, good friend of our podcast, a few days ago. And it's funny. I thought I felt bad then because I did that on Sunday. Little did I know. Little did I know that it would just be lying dormant. I've not seen the new Alien movie yet, but I imagine that this uh, this virus or this bacteria and this whatever it is, infection that has, uh, that has beset my body, It was lying in wake in that way. It was in a little alien egg pouch and then jumped out. And now it is constricted around my neck, laying its alien babies in my chest. I show if I do not cough up onto the microphone. But even though I feel terrible, I wanted to give you guys something. Uh, I will not be doing a full-length episode. It has been a struggle to get my ass off the couch to do this episode, but I did not want to leave you guys in the lurch with nothing to listen to on your Wednesdays, whether you're listening to it in the morning or the lunchtime or whatever you're doing. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're listening to my voice when you're sick, trying to make yourself feel better. Well, guess who's a jerk now? (laughs) Failed plan there. Just making your illness worse. So let's start the show off. I'm doing the little, the least amount of editing I can too. So let me just tell you guys, please do support us on iTunes with a review. Uh, come on, join the Facebook forum. And as you usually hear Mark Mixton say, we do have our special support group, which you can join and has exclusive content, uh, including my very own editions of Rand Pauluses and Minuses are in there. I'll also have some additional content coming in the, uh, the next week to come. Some, some takes I have about pop culture and, uh, this, this actually came up when I was doing this this podcast with Remzo, but there's something I want to talk a little bit <clears throat> a little bit more about. So I'm going to do an exclusive exclusive content bit on it. But talking about the understanding and how we see a lot of libertarian themes coming into film and TV, and I discussed that in my previous podcast about Rick and Morty. But I I started to wonder. I said, you know, do they do the progressives realize that they're putting libertarian themes out there, or they just think that they're progressive themes? And they don't see the hypocrisy when they put them out there <clears throat> and then they go and vote in a certain way or do a certain thing when <laughs> pushing through a certain policy in office. So I'm going to examine that a little bit more. So anyway, that is great content. Uh, all, you know, you could get that as far as five bucks a month. So just check that out. Lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Okay. On to my own shtick here. Uh, first thing I want to talk about guys is I want to talk a little bit about. Trump's trip to Saudi Arabia. And if you are watching the news, <laughs> there's a lot to like in the world of memes from this trip, mostly in the way that uh, <laughs> Trump was presented. I don't, I don't even know if it was the Saudi king that presented. I presume it was because it was in it was in his country. But the Saudi king, King Salman, and uh, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi of Egypt 
and and President Trump and Melania, which, you know, good on Saudi Arabia for letting Melania walk around and and not, uh, you know, not throw rocks at her. And if she looked at somebody the wrong way, you know, any of that kind of thing. But anyway, so they all touch this giant glowing orb for some goddamn reason. And it is pretty funny. I mean, (laughs) excuse me. It is like a... It is like an orb out of a 1992 mystery science theater sci-fi flick where they just decided to go to Spencer's Gifts. And instead of having the one with the crackling lightning inside of it, they were just like, uh, what do we need the lightning for? We just, uh, we, you know, we just put the regular light bulb in there. Um, I don't even know what accents I'm doing anymore. <laughs> uh, God, I'm dying here. I'm dying, people. I'm sweating. This is awful. All right. Anyway, but he touched the orb. Now, the other thing that he did while he was there was he also got a award from the Saudi king. He gave him the actually the highest honor you can get, the Order of Abdulaziz, I believe it is. Hold on. Let me double check. Abdulaziz. Yes, I nailed it. Now, you have to ask yourself, what did Trump do to earn this honor? Because it's not like he's gone over there and he's doing humanitarian missions. It's not like he's, uh, you know, washing babies in the streets. No. What Trump is getting this award for essentially is providing $110 billion worth of arms to the Saudi Arabian king and his military. And what are those weapons used for? Well, we know that they've been used in the past to, uh, to you know, propagate this war against Yemen, which is ongoing, and which I previously said the U.S. is basically saying, yeah, we're fine with it. Uh, they're ignoring this ongoing war in which we have no stake, but we are providing all of the armament essentially for it. It's not like the Saudis make their own weapons, and the U.S. is benefiting from it on a financial sense. The stocks for all of the uh, the major defense contractors went up when this deal was announced. And everybody's just going to say, uh, well, well, we'll turn our head. You know, Trump's getting a medal. He did a nice little goofy, I don't even know, a bow and then a weird little hop curtsy thing, which was ironic because I, I got yeah, I read some report that said that he told all of his staff, if he sees one person bowing, they're going to get fired. And yet here he is, you know, bowing down. So, <laughs> Trump goes over there. I guess you say he's making friends, but it's just more of the same. It's more uh, support for the wrong types of allies in the region. These allies that we already know most of the hijackers from 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia. We already know that Saudi Arabia funnels a lot of money into terrorist organizations. And it's interesting when you look at Trump's visit to Saudi Arabia right now, and then you see that this ongoing uh, affair by ISIS, wherein they're training these these you know native-born jihadists and getting to them via the internet and, and encouraging them to do uh, you know one-off acts of terrorism, and we saw that in Manchester. I mean, last night, Manchester, twenty-two people, I believe, you know, mostly women and small children, which is just horrible. I mean, truly, truly tragic when you have because you at least. You say any time a terror act is done, it's an act of cowardice. Uh, it's obviously an act of aggression. It's disgusting. It's despicable. It's it's people that are non-aggressors. But especially in this case, I mean, these are just little girls. And that is truly unforgivable. 
But you look at all the reaction to this now. I mean, I don't know if it's if it was an intentional timing when Trump was over with in, you know, meeting with Saudi Arabia, if it was starting to trying to send a message and they just said, well, do it, do it in Europe because we don't have anybody in America yet. Uh, do it in Europe because it's easier because they've had far more influx of immigrants. They've allowed a far more uh, influx of immigrants over there from these nations. Or in this case, though, they're saying the guy is native born. So they have all this push right now to combat terrorism. And I apologize. I'm trying to keep my train of thought on on track here, but I've had a lot of cough medicine. Uh, You know, you've got all this emphasis to push against terrorism, all this emphasis to say, okay, stop the immigration. We've got to ramp up the the military affairs in the Middle East. You got Trump dropping the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan. And you say, okay, what's it all adding up to? Because we've seen an increase in terror attacks since 2015 in Europe by far. In America, we haven't really seen anything. But again, maybe that has to do with the immigration. I don't know. But the thing is, I don't see how, especially if these persons are native-born, how you're going to stop it. And by continuously supporting the same policies that we've had in the Middle East, so continuously supplying arms to countries that are then turning them against other people and you know turning them against the Yemenis people. Uh, I'm sure that could create some terrorists that don't like the U.S. Then you got Saudi Arabia also paying money to terrorist organizations that don't like the U.S. So you got this continuous policy. And now Trump says, well, he goes on TV after the Manchester attacks and he goes, well, you know, you've got to drive out this, uh, you know, this ideology from your towns and from your religion and we have to drive them out of life. It's such as saying, you know, we have to kill these people. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say that people that are of the jihadist mindset should not be killed. Uh, in fact, I'm perfectly fine with them being killed. My problem comes in when we say, OK, how are we getting to them? Well, we're going over and we're, uh, you know, despite the fact that it's a a tiny minority of a country, we are going to march in there and we're going to continuously bomb and murder innocents because they're in the region. Um, We're going to continue to try to do this half-assed approach with the military solution, wherein all that it leads to is an uprooting of millions and we still can't find the actual perpetrators because we didn't go full bore in there. And the thing is, I'm not advocating for a military policy where we say, okay, go do it, go big. But at this point, I I do question what the alternatives are because it's either, there's two alternatives. It's either completely pull out, uh, which means that I guess the terrorists have won. Although I would argue that we'd still be safer or you go number two and you say, all right, well, we're just going to go in full military strength and wipe them out completely. But then you have the same issue we're facing if, with Afghanistan and with Iraq right now. Where you say, okay, now how do you rebuild without those people taking control again? Which brings you back to question one. It's like these little circle charts. you know. <laughs> Should we pull out? Yes. Great. Bring them home. Are we safer? Yes. Should we pull out? Okay, no. Uh, why? Well, because we need to go and, and eradicate ISIS. Okay, did we eradicate ISIS in this country? Well, I guess so. Great. Now, do we have to stay there? Yes, we have to stay there forever. Okay, can we pull out now? Yes. Then what happens? Well, they keep infiltrating. Are we safer after all? No. In fact, we've probably made a hell of a lot more of them just by the the actions we've taken against innocents. I mean, this ideology is never going to go away. It's And it's not going to go away as long as we keep continuously doing the same things. That's that's what people I don't think can wrap their heads around. 
is that as painful as it is to say, you know what, forget it, fine, you can have this round because we know that once this killing stops, once the once the reason for this hatred, once the reason for your recruitment goes away, you're not going to be able to recruit anymore. It's like the same thing we say about the drug war. <laughs> if you stop the prohibition on the drugs and you stop the violence of the drugs, then the drug war goes away and the violence and the killing stop. It's the same thing in this. If you, if you take away the reason for the hatred, then why would the hatred continue? It just doesn't make any sense. And you can say, okay, well, but we have to fight against the atrocities under Sharia law. Look, I don't, you know, and under this, this radical Islamic law, I'm not saying those are good things either, but what would you rather do? Would you rather go have a nation put itself at risk and have uh, innocent little girls get blown up at an Ariana Grande concert because you are worried about what's going on halfway across the world, or you'd rather say, well, they can they can either handle that themselves, or we can handle that through political means, or we can handle that through other ways, that there are cultural changes that might get that done instead of doing it militaristically, where and we're going to get this kind of blowback. <laughs> we'll see if that made sense tomorrow, because I'm not listening to it again now. Anyway, um, it just all is, it's all wrapped up into one big bow of garbage and Trump's trip did not make it any better in my humble opinion. Okay, let's move on to something else really quickly. How about we move on to a little bit of Rand Paul? Because Rand Paul, uh, I just mentioned the drug war. Rand Paul has put through an act called the Justice Safety Valve Act. And this is essentially to fight against Jeff Sessions' insane mandatory minimum push. So, Jeffy Jeff Sessions. Oops, sorry. I just hit my desk with my knee. Jeffy Jeff Sessions has uh, told everybody, as I'm sure you know by now, that he wants to really push mandatory minimums farther. He wants to make sure that people are given the absolute highest provable offense so put them away for the longest time, which goes against all of the uh, most reasonable justice reform movements from the Obama administration and, and everything else. The one thing I did like about Obama, actually, I guess was his his uh, justice reform movement in regards to drug policy and mandatory minimums. But Rand Paul said, hey, I'm not going to take this sitting down. I am. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to put a bill out there called the Justice Safety Valve Act. Which was done with Thomas Massey in tow. Always good to get the the old Massey on board. Kind of reminds me of Beaver Cleaver back in the old days. I mean, seriously, let's just for a side moment there, because my uh, my brain's so spacey anyway. Doesn't Thomas Massey look a little bit like a little kid? Like some like he so he made a big wish, and the the genie thing he put the coin into though it was like all right i will grant your wish but then it like broke halfway through so he is a big body but he still looks like he's about 14 i mean really massy god grow a beard something get a five o'clock shadow a 12 year old in there but i do appreciate his politics so anyway this justice valve act what it would do is uh, something pretty great uh in fighting back against all federal crimes, mandatory minimums, by the way, not just marijuana. So essentially, it's putting the quote-unquote justice valve in there, which would give uh, judges the ability to look at things at a case-by-case basis. So they can 
uh, custom tailored sentences rather than just saying, okay, you have to put this person in jail for X amount of years because it's on the books and there's nothing I can do about it at all, which I think is the fair thing to do. I mean, you look at how many people have been put into prison for an extra five, ten years for these these minimums. I mean, some some minimums are especially like you got the well or life. I mean, God, I mean the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the three strikes law is basically a mandatory minimum for the life sentence. Um, so it's just excellent to see that Rand is stepping up to the plate here, and uh, he gets a definite us. Okay, I'm going to hit one more thing, guys. Like I said, this is going to be a very short episode. Um, <laughs> when you can't think, you can't podcast, and I just can't think right now. Uh, one more thing I did want to touch on, though, is the Julian Assange rape case has been dropped, which I think is pretty fascinating. The background on this, <coughs> excuse me, the background on this is that Julian Assange in 2010 was speaking at a conference in Sweden. <coughs> Ah, speaking at a conference in Sweden, and he uh, met two women, went back to his hotel room, had sex with them, and then they accused him of raping and molesting them, which, if we're being perfectly honest, seems very difficult to do to two women at once when uh, they're both there at the same time. So anyway, they that was the allegation. The police wanted to question. They put out like a something they called like a red letter or something like that in Sweden. Let me get the exact phrase here because it's a really oh the Interpol issued a red notice for Assange's arrest. So he actually turned himself in. He went before a judge in England in Westminster, <clears throat> 2012, and they made some arguments back and forth. And then he uh, eventually came to a, to a head where. The Swedish government wanted to extradite him. And at that point, he said, nope, fled to Ecuador <clears throat> and then stayed there ever since. So it's interesting that they're dropping these allegations now. Um, they're saying it's because they don't see a way to prosecute it any farther, that they don't think he's, you know, they're ever going to get access to him. But really, I mean, look at what's going on in the case of uh, Roman Polanski. You never have to drop. <clears throat> excuse me, you never have to drop that case. It's not like anything happens. It's not like it's a finite resource. You just keep the case open. He ever comes back, you arrest him. So that makes me think that they finally said, you know what? This made up crap that we have is never going to stick. So we might as well stop trying because we're just going to look stupid the more we try to, to extradite him. Which, thank God, because it, it's, you know, for me, I'm happy to see this allegation dropped. I'm happy to see this case dropped so people can't say, you know, throw slings and arrows against his person because he's doing great work. We know now, well, we don't know for sure, but um, the rumors are out there about Seth Rich being the leaker of the Democratic National uh, Convention information. And obviously he was working for Bernie Sanders and he was the one that had given a lot of information about all of that nefarious underhanded uh, stuff going on with Hillary Clinton to WikiLeaks. Coincidentally, turns up dead in a case where there's nothing taken from him. There's no money. There's no wallet taken. There's no jewelry taken. But it was ruled a robbery in the street. And of course, plays into all of the allegations that uh, the Clintons have been killing people over the years, which, by the way, I totally believe. Just FYI. Um you know, buys it and that kind of thing. So I wanted Julian Assange to stay as centered in the public view as possible with as little doubt placed upon his person or his uh, honor as a gentleman and a scholar as possible. So this is good news for me. 
And we'll see. Hopefully there'll be even better news if they can somehow prove that the Clintons killed Seth Rich. It would be wonderful to see them finally go behind bars. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode because I can't talk anymore. I shouldn't have been talking this much. And I apologize to you guys. I literally tried to record this so many times without coughing through it, and I failed every time. So this is as much as I could do. I will, uh, I promise and pledge to make it up to you when I'm feeling a little bit better and I am able. All right. So from me, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.